Amen. You know, this morning, I just, when I was getting ready for today, so much just bubbling up in my spirit, and I, I slipped a little, thank you, I slipped a little of the info to uh, Mary. I couldn't resist, but God, just 30, 45 minutes before we left for church, God began to speak to me about the house. You know, the, Jesus said, uh, he talked about the house, and when the Holy Spirit was poured out, uh, uh, it says the whole house was filled. And so uh, I began to jot some things down about a, a concerted corporate prayer effort over our house, not just our home at home, but this church house. And I, I'm, I'm so excited about that. that I've got to, I told Beverly, I don't know where I'm going to fit it, but man, I'm excited about this year. I've got a lot of things on my heart. And before I share with you and finish up our series uh, from Strengthening Your Spiritual Grip, let me talk to you about next month. Because in February, we're going to focus on the river. Everyone say the river. Uh, Jesus said, uh, after all this feasting in John 7, they had the Feast of Tabernacles. And it was a feast of thanksgiving. And I won't go into depth here. But after all that was over, it was the last day of the feast. Everybody's just going, whoa. How many of you love Thanksgiving? Man, you know, when Thanksgiving comes to a close on that day, I'm just hoping that we have another one the next day. But I'm sitting there going, whoa. Man, that was good. I'm, I'm blessed. Well, Jesus, at that moment in the feast, he said, hey, if any of you, after all this feasting, is still thirsty, let him come to me and drink. For out of his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. And so in February, we're going to talk about the river. You know, one passage, um, I can't, um, one passage says, I think it's in Psalms there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. Ezekiel saw water flowing out of the house. And it got so deep, he just had to swim. Amen. Everybody say the river. And so next Sunday, we're going to begin to invite you to get off in the river. And let the river not only encompass you, but let it begin to pour forth out of you. And appreciate so much what Trent was talking about. Uh, you know, when the miracles began to happen in the first century church is when they let the river flow. Amen. And so look at your neighbor and say, you got to let go and let the river flow. Oh, I, I just now was a poet and didn't know it. You got to let go and let the river begin to flow. So I'm ready for Sunday already. Amen. In fact, if you'd like at noon when I'm done here, we can just start Sunday, the next Sunday. I'm jazzed. I'm ready. Uh, but today, let's finish up our, our January emphasis. I want you to turn in your Bible to Philippians, the book of Philippians, chapter 3. We're going to look there in depth. Uh, and uh, as you're doing that, let me kind of tell you where we've been these last four Sundays, January 1 on, on New Year's Day. We began this series called Strengthening Your Spiritual Grip. Uh, and so uh, because God laid on my heart the, the necessity for us in 2012 to really get a firm grip on what God has for us and, and some foundational principles uh, that he needs and, and we certainly need operating in our life. Our keynote verse from, for this series is Revelation 3.11 from the message. Let's look at it. I love what it says. Let's read it together. Uh, these, this is a paraphrase uh, from Revelation 3.11, the letter Jesus was writing to the faithful church. And here it is. Let's read it together. I'm on my way. I'll be there soon. 
Keep a tight grip on what you have so no one distracts you and steals your crown. What a great thing that Jesus taught us to do because he knew in the day we live in and in these days, and my friend, we live in some days when there are influences around us, multifaceted, uh, many different types of influences that are distracting, but not only distracting, they divert us off God's plan and purpose. And if we're not careful, we'll let go of some of the real important things that God has in our life. So that's why Jesus wrote us a letter. How many appreciate him writing you a letter? He wrote us a letter and said, you better keep a tight grip on what you have because there are influences in the world that are endeavoring to divert you and distract you and steal your crown. Now, for all you people who are concerned about your theology there on what does it mean to steal your crown, uh, if you had an in-depth look into scripture, you'd discover that, that the way we live our life on planet earth as Christians puts us in places of reward when we get to heaven. What basically Jesus was saying uh, in the middle of your walk with God, if you let the influences of this world come and you, and you let go of some real important things in your life, uh, you get distracted, you're going to lose some reward in heaven because there is reward in heaven. Did you know uh, how you live your life on planet earth will affect you for all eternity? And so we've got to keep a fight, tight grip. Everyone say, keep a tight grip. So we've talked about a few things. I kind of laid this on you in the beginning. I said, you know, if you're going to get a firm grip on what you have there might, or what God has for you, you might need to let go of some things and shake loose from some things. We're going to talk about that a little more in just a few moments. But we also talked and looked at Abraham and we realized we need a firm grip on our faith. How many of you know that's the core foundation of our, our relationship with God is by faith. Everyone say by faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. And Abraham, the Bible says about Abraham, a great study, the father of our faith, it says he did not waver at the promises of God through unbelief. What was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. And so, wow, you know what? Let me just pause here a second. If you've missed any of those, they're available at our website, cotrnorth.com. You go to the sermons page. You can also go to to the iTunes page. And if you've got an iPod, iPad, or all kinds of those little things, you can download those messages and take them with you, put them in your, you know, you ever see those people, you know, just walking around and tuned out to the world? That's okay to do that if you're listening to Pastor Sam, okay? So do that, plug in and get a firm grip on your faith. And one Wednesday, we talked about getting a firm grip on your thoughts. How many over the Bible says, uh, you know, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So it's important to get a firm grip on our thoughts. And then we talked about getting a firm grip on the integrity of God in our life. And that was a great study. And, and then last week, uh, not only Sunday, but last Wednesday, we talked about getting a firm grip and a grasp upon the authority of God in our life. How many of you know God's in charge? He really is. He's King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And he is the ultimate final authority. But understand something, he's delegated authorities into our life. And that's a powerful truth that all of us need to embrace. That, uh, that God puts us in a world uh, and all things are held together by the word of his authority and his power. And, and, uh, and that message of authority is profoundly important. In fact, I recommended a book to you. I'd encourage you to go get it, order it or whatever online. It's called Undercover by John Bevere, a great study about the authority of God and the delegated authorities in our life. And last Wednesday, I gave you a pretty good a shotgun spray of that message that I think is so important. It talks about how to deal with the delegated authorities in our life who, uh, who may not be perfect. Do you, does anybody know any delegated authorities in your life that are not perfect? 
Beverly, you're supposed to lift your hand there because I know I'm not perfect. Uh, and so get a grip. Everyone say get a grip. Now we're going to finish in the next 30, 35 minutes this series uh, on, uh, on strengthening your spiritual grip by talking about getting a firm grip on God's purpose for our life, his eternal purposes. I hold in my hands the number one best-selling book in the history of the world. It is the... I hold in my other hand the second most best-selling book in the history of the world, The Purpose-Driven Life by Rick Warren. How many have ever read the, written, blah, 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 blah. How many have ever read the Purpose Driven Life? Great. Here's what I want to encourage you to do uh, this year. Uh, it, it'd be great. When's the first? It's just a few days away. The first is just a few days away. This is a 40-day devotional uh, uh, study on the pr- purposes of God. I would encourage you to begin to go through that. If you've never read it, go get it. You don't want to be one out of a gazillion people who haven't, do you? The gazillion, there's a gazillion people have read this book and changed and transformed their life. So, uh, hey, you will, I, could, I could open this book right now, and if we had time, I would. I would just turn to any page and begin to read, and you would go, I understand that. I, I get that. That's pretty good. I think I need some of that. I promise you it will do that for you. So, number one best-selling book in the history of the whole world, the Bible. The second is The Purpose Driven Life. And so, uh, I'm going to use uh, some material from that today. You know, it's... it's it's easy to not in, reinvent the wheel. You know, it's, hey, why reinvent the wheel when there are people who have been massively globally influential, have some great insights. So if you're a good reader of this, you'll discover that what I share with you this morning, many of the things that we uh, premise our church around uh, or build our church around are found in this book about the purposes of God. So little commercial, love for you to get it, love for you to read it. It'll make a big difference in your life. So with that said, let's pray and ask God to bless us today as we learn to get a firm grip on God's purposes in our life. Father, we thank you today for the powerful preaching of the word of God. Lord, it's not in the delivery, but in the message. And so today we embrace the message of God that you have for us. Lord, let us in 2012 get a firm grasp on the purposes of God for our life. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Amen. Turn in your Bible to the Philippians, and I'm going to just read a little excerpt from the life of Paul the Apostle. I'm going to begin in verse, oh, let's go, let's start in verse 10. Uh, mm, Gosh, there's so much. He's in the middle of 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 a descriptive of the desire of his life. In fact, it says in the first few verses of chapter 3 that all the things that he had worked for all his life, all the religious acclaim and, and ministry acclaim, he counted it as nothing that he might gain Christ. He had had a fresh revelation of the grace of God in his life, and he's readjusted the priority and the purpose of God for his life. And so that's what he's uh, communicating about and the, the purpose of God. We'll start in verse 10. It says, the real desires of, of his heart. He said, that I may know him. And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. If by any means I might attain to the resurrection of the dead. Look in verse 12. This is a key verse. It says, not that I have already attained or am already perfected. In other words, I haven't arrived, but I press on. Everyone say press on. He said, I press on, uh, that means he's pressing forward into the destiny of God for his life, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. 
You know, there's a lot in that verse right there. What he's, what he's confessing there is that he realized that God had a purpose for his life. That he wasn't a mistake. He wasn't just a, a happenstance in life. Uh, you know, but God had a purpose, a divine, as we'll read in another verse or two, a predetermined destiny for his life. And he's beginning to embrace that. In fact, this prayer is, this desire of his heart, I want to get a hold of him like he's got a hold of me. I want to embrace the purpose of God like he has embraced me for the purposes of God for my life. He goes on to say, brethren, I do not count myself as appreh- to have apprehended, verse 13, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And then he begins to up- apply it to us. This, this search and this hunger and this desire to fulfill God's purposes. He says this, nevertheless, to the degree. Oh, verse 15, I got ahead. Therefore, let us. Everyone say, that means me. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. He's beginning to say now to us, hey, folks, church, hey, you get a hold of what God's working in my life. I want to get a hold of him like he's got a hold of me. And he said, we ought to all think that way. We ought to, that ought to be the motivation of all our life. And Paul set himself in a place to discover and develop and, and, and determine in his heart and deliver to God the, the fulfillment of the purposes of God for his life. And, you know, if we had time, we would fast forward to the end of his life in 2 Timothy where he realized he had accomplished God's purpose and plan for his life. He said, I fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. I've finished my race. And finally, there's laid up for me a crown of rejoicing. In other words, he didn't get distracted. He he didn't get diverted from the path, but he accomplished God's plan for his life. Amen. I finished my race. I've kept the faith. And there's laid up for me a crown of rejoicing. Somebody say amen. And so what a great role model for us to follow as we we search out and discover and and, and desire God's purposes and plan in our life. And so, you know, we've got to embrace that. Another passage in Ephesians kind of defines it for us as well. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. Paul said this, in him, speaking of Jesus, we also have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Look at this verse right here. Everyone say, in him. You see, it all comes from him. And it says we're predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Now, for all of you who are fearful that I'm a Calvinist this morning, understand something. I believe in predestination. But here's what I believe. I believe God has a predetermined plan for my life. It doesn't guarantee I will safely arrive there. How many of you know God created us as people of choice? Somebody say amen. And if people go to hell, you know why they went there? They chose to. And if people go to heaven, and I hope you do, it's because you chose to. If people arrive at the destiny of God for their life and they hear Jesus at the close of their life say, well done thou, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over little. Oh, I'm going to give you much. The reason they did that is because they chose to. Come on, good. I'm going to preaching now. It's kicked in already. And so we have a pl- God has a plan for our life, but it doesn't de- 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 determine that just because he created us for a person, 
for a purpose. It doesn't guarantee our safe arrival. We've got to cooperate. And so this morning, let me just give you the starting place. I'm just going to scratch the surface because I hope and pray all of us today can begin to connect to the purposes of God for our life. The starting point for all of us, where is it? It's the place of our origin. It's where we were where we began. Where did we begin? Well, according uh, to God, we did not begin at a biological moment somewhere. Do you want me to describe what I'm talking about? Okay, I didn't think you did. Uh, We didn't begin at a biological connection. We began in the heart of God before we were a twinkle in our daddy's eye. God had a plan for us. And a destiny and a purpose. And he created us in his heart. In Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. One of my favorite passages of scripture. Paul says this. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which God has prepared beforehand. That we should walk in them. We are God's workmanship. He had a plan. He just didn't throw you together. As, as some of you may think. You know you just a, you're a hodgepodge of, of, of some you know, mixed up DNA. That God had left over after he created, you know, hey, you are God's masterpiece. Look at your neighbor with all the love you can splendor, stir up, say, you're God's masterpiece. We really are. And that's where it begins when we embrace the reality that God created us with a divine purpose in mind. That we're not a mistake, an accident. That God has a plan for our life. And so that's where it begins. You know, the problem is with humanity, most people begin by asking all the wrong questions. I was talking to someone uh, the other day. We were talking on the phone and they were saying, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? I said, well, you're asking all the wrong questions. Let me tell you the questions you need to begin to ask. And that's the reality about the purpose of God for our life. Because most people ask all the wrong questions. They say, ooh, what do I want to be when I grow up? It's the wrong question. What do I want to do in life? What are my goals and dreams and ambitions in life? They're all the wrong questions. That's not how you discover God's purpose in your life. The way you discover God's purpose in your life is begin to go back to the, to the origin of your life, the creation of your life, and realize that God has it figured out already. Hello. And the questions we need to be asking are not, what do I want to do? But God, what do you have for me to do in this life? And when we come to a place where that begins to be the heartbeat of our life, understand, you'll know it's not about discovering what you want. It's about discovering what he wants. What does he want? Not what do I want. It's what does he want? You know, when you grow up, that's what Paul said. Hey, if you're mature, you need to embrace this reality. The little babies, they don't understand that. Little Josiah does not understand this principle because little Josiah, all he knows is what he wants and what he needs. And if he doesn't get what he wants and he needs, he starts to cry. Now, we, we that are adults, we don't cry like Josiah. We just throw fits. I didn't get what I want. I love what George Bernard Shaw said. He said this, this is the true joy of life. Being used up for a purpose. Recognized by yourself as a mighty one. Being a force of nature rather than a feverish, selfish little clot of ailments and grievances. Complaining that the world will not devote itself to make you happy. Wow. Let me read you. 
in this second most uh, popular, second number, number two bestseller in the history of the world, the first, after you get through all the preliminary stuff, chapter one, here we go. First sentence. It's not about you. Period. It's not about you. Now, that's very irritating to a selfish-minded person. In fact, years ago, I was saying this a lot. I had an actual member of the church, who, by the way, is not here anymore, but came to me and said, sometimes it is all about me. I said, I know. I can tell. (laughs) It's really true. But, hey, that's the starting point. It's not about what I want. It's about what he wants. Amen. So we've got to embrace that. And Paul did. And he realized, hey, I'm God's creation. God's got a purpose for me. And and he's predetermined over my life a plan and a purpose. And, oh, I don't have time, but you could go to Acts 26. If you're taking notes, you can write it down. Acts 26, verse 13, when he's before Agrippa, he begins to talk about God's call on his life and how God had a plan and a purpose for his life. And it had nothing to do with Paul. It had everything to do with God's will for his life. And so the goal is for us to come to a place in our life where, where the purpose of God drives us. Where the purpose of God moves us. That's why the title, The Purpose Driven Life, we're driven by purpose and destiny in our life. But sadly, most people are not driven by the purpose of God for their life. Sadly, most people in churches around America are not, uh, are not bubbling over with God's predetermined destiny and embracing God's plan in their life. Sadly, most people in America are not, uh, are, have come to the realization that it's not about them. They, they go to church. Listen, most people go to church, and this is, this is the basis form, the, 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 the base form of, of the motivation of a Christian. They go to church to get the monkey off their back because they know something's wrong with them and they need somebody to help them. And hey, I'm honored to do that. That's what Jesus came to do. He said, I came to set at liberty those who are bound. But the ultimate purpose of God and God's plan for your life is not just to get the monkey off your back, but get the purpose of God in your heart to fulfill his kingdom purpose. He might need to get the monkey off or he can get his purpose on the inside. Amen. Wow. That wasn't in my notes. I don't know where that came from. But most people aren't motivated that way. They're not driven by God's purpose. Let me tell you some things quickly that most many people may be driven by that keeps them from discovering God's purpose. And you've got to shake loose from them. Sadly, many people are driven by guilt. Guilty. Their past. You know, we're all products of our past. But we don't have to be prisoners. Some people are prisoners to their past. And people are driven by guilt. Did you know I've met people? How long have we been in ministry, baby? How long? Long time? Longer than you can count? Long long time. I've met people in my ministry. They serve. And they're there every time the doors open and it's great. But when you start scratching around, it's because they still feel guilty. And they're trying to fix that problema in their life. How many of you know we don't need to even serve God out of guilt? 
You can't work your way out into good standing with God. And from my reading of the Bible, my Bible tells me in Psalms, here's what it says. Psalms 103 verse 12. It says, as far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed my transgressions from me. I am no longer guilty. In fact, he was hung up for my hangups. He took my place. He took my guilt on Calvary's cross. Come on now. And, and he set me free. A lot of people in life, they can't get past the past. Paul said this in Philippians 3. Let me tell you, and he had a very sordid past. He said, "What well, the position I'm taking in all of this, in verse 13, I'm forgetting those things which are behind, and I'm reaching forward to those things that are ahead. I hope today and pray today you're not driven in life by guilt. Sadly, many people are. Number two, many people are driven. Oh, let me say this. I just had this thought. How many of you came in a car today? I didn't see any helicopters. Most people came in a car. There's a strange thing on the dash or up on the windshield of every car. It's called the what? The rearview mirror. It's for the purpose of looking behind you. But how come it's so small? Because your need to look back should be very limited. Most people, their rearview mirror is bigger than the windshield. All they can do is look back. And oh, you got to remember what the Bible says. Remember Lot's wife. You say, what does that mean? Look it up, Google it, you'll find out. Everyone say, remember Lot's wife. Amen. And so, guilt, something you've got to get past. It keeps us from God's purpose and plan. Many people are given, uh, driven not only by guilt, but resentment and anger. Whew. Let me tell you, Beverly, in our ministry that we've experienced, we've, we've dealt with this, but we, we've dealt with other people over the years who their whole life is driven by resentment and anger and hurts from other people. How many of you know anybody like that? How many of you know some things in your life sometimes it's hard to get over and get past the resentment and anger in life? You know, I don't know what you think about it, but I, I like Facebook. I got one good preacher friend, he called it Devil Book. I had another preacher at the conference tell me, you need to get your nose out of Facebook and get it in God's book, brother. And I want to say, I do both, hallelujah. I'm in reconnecting. In fact, Beverly and I went to a church reunion of Beverly Hills Baptist Church last weekend. That's why, was it last weekend? I had to drive, you know, I got... You know, got here early in the morning uh, and uh, because we're reconnecting. Most of that's through Facebook. Well, there was a guy who was in 30 years ago in the ministry team in our youth group there at Beverly Hills that I had lost track of a long time ago. Well, a few months or so ago, he found me on Facebook. We became friends. It was, you know, my deal with, with people is I don't know how much they want me to interact in their life. And I'll be honest, I don't know how much I want to interact in their life either. You know what I mean? And so, you know, it's cordial, light, no big deal. Oh, that's where you are. Here's where we are, you know. And so, and then, lo and behold, came this uh, uh, reunion that he found on Facebook. And I got not a post on my page, but, but a, like a message in my, kind of like an email. And it was this long of little bitty words. He was ranting and raving at me. This is his first real connection with me. After 30 years of him feeling like me slash everybody else 
had forgotten about him in his dark hour. Now, I have to be honest. I told him, you know, how many of you have some things you want to say, you know, you better not say? So I waited a day or so, and I got the joy of the Lord on me and the mercy of God on me. So I'll just vent with you today. I don't want to. So I just told him a few nice things and apologized and, you know, hopefully, you know, maybe bring a little revelation in his life. And, but 30 years, 30 his first opportunity at me, he came with both barrels blazing. And I went, that is sad. That is sad. And you know what? Let me tell you something about resentment. It will always hurt you more than it hurts anybody else. In fact, for 30 years, His resentment and anger had no effect on my life. I wonder how his kids, if he has any, enjoyed growing up under that. I wonder how his wife or wives have enjoyed growing up under that. I wonder how his neighbors have enjoyed his wonderful demeanor in life. What drives your life today? Sadly, many people are driven by guilt and resentment and anger. I love what Job 5, 2 says in, the, in, the, in the, today's English version. It says this, To worry yourself to death with resentment would be foolish and a senseless thing to do. Job chapter 5, verse 2. Listen to this. And you know what? Unless God breaks through in this gentleman's heart after 30 years, he's going to worry himself to death with resentment. Bible says it's a senseless, senseless thing to do. Foolish and senseless. It hurts you more than it hurts everybody else. What drives you today? Another thing people are driven by that I find through our years of ministry is not only guilt and resentment and anger that undermine God's purpose, but fear. A lot of people are operating in fear. They just fear. They've got, for some reason, they've got this spirit of fear on them, a self-imposed prison that keeps us from becoming what God wants us to be. And we're driven and motivated in life by fear. Paul told Timothy, he said, listen, you need to understand this. Second Timothy chapter 1, God didn't give us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Sadly, many people in church, they're all bound up by fears in life that keeps them paralyzed from fulfilling God's purpose. What drives you today? Some people are driven in this world. Many people are driven in this world. And a lot of people in church are driven by fear. But also, here's another one, materialism. The overwhelming desire to acquire. How many of you know there's nothing wrong with stuff? But if our stuff gets in charge of our life rather than us being in charge of our stuff, there's a problem. And it will cause us to, uh, the purpose of God to be undermined in our life. I'm reminded in Luke 12 of a parable of a gentleman that he had been blessed. God blessed him. He said, I know what I'll do. He had so much blessings, he couldn't store it in all his barns. I've never been there before. Uh, I don't know, you know, but he had so much. He said, I know what I will do. And if you read it, you would see the letter I, the word I, over and over and over again. Because he didn't, he had, he hadn't read the book yet. He didn't read the first line. 
that says it's not about you. He was all mixed up. He thought it was all about him. And he said, I know what I'll do. I'll just build bigger barns and I'll just get me some more stuff. It's all about me. And Jesus said, you don't understand. You fool. Today your life will be required of you. And what good is your stuff going to do you then? You see, understand something about materialism. Most people have a misconception. Let me tell you, you want me to to pop your bubble today if it happens to be there? More stuff doesn't make you more happy. It might have a temporary moment. Have you ever done this? Bought you something brand spanking new, like a boat or a car. And for about 29 days, you just love it. Until that first note comes due. And then you're going. (laughs) It's fleeting at best. And you beg for the days for your 72 Ford pickup that was paid off. (laughs) That you didn't have have to get a stepladder to get up into it. And when a tire went bad, it didn't cost you $500. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. Listen, self-worth and net worth are not the same. You don't get your self-worth from the amount of stuff you can stack up. Your value is in no way determined by your valuables. And Paul told Timothy, hey, let me tell you something. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Money is here to help us fulfill God's kingdom purpose, but not to own us. What drives you this morning? What's hindering you from the purpose of God? Here's one that I meet a lot of people through life. Uh, they're, they're driven by the need for approval. This may not be you, but some people get this. And again, they're kind of like the people who are driven by guilt. They'll serve, serve, serve. They'll help, help, help. And they're searching for some approval they didn't get at home somewhere or on the job. They're hunting for somebody to pat them on the back and say, good job. And you know, I've met some of them. You know how I meet them? It's when I don't pat them on the back and say, good job. Before long, they blow up on you. And you realize, well, what are you? Everybody loves serving until somebody treats them like one. I'm going to say that again. Everybody loves to be a servant until somebody treats them like one and maybe forgets to pat them on the back and and takes advantage of them a little bit. And all of a sudden, this need for approval rises up and people will waste their life. Did you know the Bible says you can't serve two masters? And some people are serving under the unholy, unhealthy motive of of approval, searching for somebody to say, could I tell you today, Jesus approved of you over 2,000 years ago. Even when you're dead and your trespasses and sin, you were a rascal. Without a capacity to be right with God, he, over 2,000, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And God loved you so much. He approved of you so much that he gave, his own, gave up his only son so he and you could have perfect fellowship with one another. What drives you this morning? What we need to do is embrace God's purposes in our life. Nothing matters more than knowing God's purposes in your life. And nothing can compensate you for not knowing them. Nothing matters more than us discovering God's purpose and plan for our life. And nothing will compensate for your lack of knowing them in your life. 
We'll all stand before God one day and give an account of how we did or did not fulfill his purposes in our life. We can bring to him all our accolades and all the things we've accomplished. And there, as Paul said in Philippians 3, the first few verses, I'm counted it as nothing that I might gain him. What's driving your life this morning? Again, Ephesians 1.11, it's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. It's in our relationship with him. And if you don't have a real relationship with Christ... Let me tell you something. You have not plugged into God's purpose for your life. It's in him today. It's in a relationship with him. So let me give you some things to help you plug into God's purpose. Let me just kind of help you along this morning. Let me give you two words here. Discover and decide. Everyone say discover and decide. Discover. Begin to build a relationship with Christ and begin to discover his plan and purpose for your life. And in a moment, I'm going to give you five quickly that we'll talk about again on Wednesday night. But, but God has a plan and a purpose for all our life. And I love what Jeremiah 29 says. Most of you know this passage of Scripture, but you don't put it in the bigger context. Jeremiah 29, let's look what it says over here. Pass it up. Jeremiah 20, 29, verse 11, he says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope amen somebody say amen he has a purpose we've got to begin to discover that and then he gives us a way to do that then you will call unto me and i will and and go and pray to me and i will listen to you and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart i will be found by you says the lord i'll bring you forth from your captivity listen if we'll begin to set our hearts to discover and seek after him with all our heart and then begin to decide i want to do what he wants me to do I want to go where he wants me to go. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. Everything I've done that I've tried to accomplish for me has gone south. Everything that I've done when it was all about me, it's turned sour in my mouth. I need his will for my life. And I'm deciding today to follow after his purposes for my life. That's what 2012 ought to be all about for all of us. I'm discovering his real overarching purpose for my life and I'm deciding that I'm going to begin to follow after him. I'm going to seek after him with my whole heart. I'm going to call out to him and I'm going to plug in and he's going to allow himself to be found by me and I'm going to be purpose-driven in life. I've got a predetermined purpose and destiny and I'm not letting anybody divert me or distract me off the course. I'm not letting go of the purpose of of God for my life. Everyone say discover and decide. Then say these two words, develop and deliver. Began to develop God's purposes and his call in your life. And, you know, you study the life of Paul, and that's what he did. He put his heart, he was a student, and he put his heart to developing the gifts and the graces of God in his life that are all given to him and the pieces of his, the puzzle of his life to help him fulfill God's kingdom purposes for his life. He began to develop. Did you know we don't stumble into the purpose of God? It comes through discovering and deciding and then developing God's plan and purpose in our life. You know, some people talk, they talk, Talk about having a, a life plan or a, you know, a, a business plan. How, when's the last time we developed a, a God plan in our life, a purpose of God plan in our life? And we got serious about plugging into the purposes of God and appropriating his will and word in our life because we realized it's not about me. And then ultimately delivering to God what he has desired for us, what we were created by God to accomplish, be able to deliver it to him. Like Paul said, 
I finished my race. I kept the faith. I did what God wanted me to do. I delivered on the purpose of God for my life. One of the big apprehensions of my life that keeps me motivated for the rest of my life is what is God going to say to me when I meet him face to face? Because I will stand before him one day and give an account of how I live life on planet earth. Now, I'm his child. I'm going to heaven from Beaumont, Texas, or wherever. I'm on my way to heaven. Earth is the shortest amount of time I'll ever spend anywhere. I'm, I'm, a, I'm an eternal being. I have eternal life. But one day I'll stand before him and give an account. So we've got to develop and then deliver. Develop a lifestyle that is focused on God's purpose. And applying ourselves to fulfilling his will. Not my will. His will. You see, remember Ephesians 1.11. It is in Christ that we find out who we are. Paul said, I'm focusing. Philippians 3.13. This is in the New Living Translation. I'm focusing all my energies on this one thing. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. It's time to deliver. Begin to deliver the purposes of God to him. The reason for our being. Amen. Now quickly, let me show you some things today that we're going to look at on Wednesdays. Let me show you what Rick Warren defines as the five-fold purpose that all of us were created to accomplish. Rick in his book gives five things that are biblically based purposes that all of us can embrace. That as we begin to embrace them, guess our, 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 our life-specific purposes began to be realized. Here they are quickly. We're created to worship. That's true. God created you to give him pleasure. Amen. You know, I see Josh and Laura Beth. They're such great parents already. Two weeks old, they're parents. And though it's hard not to be a pretty good parent with a two-week-old, as Britt and Stacy are learning with a three-year-old, it gets a little more challenging. That's to put it mildly. But I see their, them as parents, and, and I realize that, and as grandparents, these children bring me so much pleasure. I wonder what God thinks when he looks down upon us. He created us for God's specific purpose. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. He has a plan and a future for our life. And if we're wandering aimlessly through life with a selfish mindset that is only concerned about me, myself, and I, we are not bringing pleasure to him. But we're created to. So one of the first things in life you and I need to embrace is that we're here to please him, to worship him with our life. Not just with our words, but with our way of life. To bless him. Some people think a real good song service is worship. That's just a little part. It's a way of life. We're created to worship, number two. We're created to fellowship. 
You look at the scripture, the Bible says, uh, the, new, the living Bible in Colossians, there's a verse that says, we belong in God's house with every other Christian. We're a part of the body of Christ. We're created by God, not to be selfish, independent, uh, uh, self-serving, you know, uh, 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 isolating type people, but people who plug in, get involved, and find their greatest purpose through the interaction of the family of God and the spiritual growth that comes from a fellowship of the saints in Jesus Christ. We're created to worship. Number three, we're created to grow or be disciples of Jesus Christ. God created you to grow and mature in him and to become more like him. Amen. To be a a reflection of him and and to grow. And every little child has a desire and a built-in mechanism within their body to grow. But very soon, they've got to learn if they're going to grow. They've got to feed themselves. They've got to exercise. They've got to, they've got to uh, be involved in the process. God created us to become more like him and be his followers and his disciples. Number four, we're created to serve. In fact, the Bible even says Jesus didn't come to this earth to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. And all of us are servants. It doesn't matter what kind of delegated authority we might be, whether we have 100 or 500 or 1,000 people under our uh, delegated authority. Understand something. We serve God and man through our leadership in the, in, in the world and, and especially in the church. We're created by God to serve. Amen. And so we've got to understand that. Most people spend all their life trying to get to a place where everybody else serves them. It's upside down. We ought to spend every day of our life figuring out a way to serve as many people as we can. And to be a blessing to the body of Christ and a blessing to the world. That's why we were created. If you're going to be in the image of Jesus, you've got to be a servant. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you've got to learn to be the servant of all. That's why we were created. Number five, we're created to influence our world for Christ. We really are. That ought to be the driving motive of our life, to bring God pleasure, to plug into the fellowship of the family of God, to grow spiritually, to serve our family and church and world, and to influence the world and be what Jesus called us, salt and light. Great resources of influence. Embracing the purposes of God for our life. Today, what drives your life? Some here today, sadly, in this room are driven by guilt. Some may be driven by resentment and anger. Then you smile and nod when you came through, but on the inside, you're camouflaged misery. Some people are driven by things that are unhealthy and unholy, fear, materialism, or the state and the need for approval in life. What's driving your life today? I'm here to tell you in 2012, you have a great opportunity to get a grasp on the purpose of God for your life and wake up every morning with a sense of vision and purpose that moves you to a place of bringing God pleasure, moves you to a place of fellowship and and, and connection with the family of God, a place where you grow spiritually and you serve faithfully and you influence your world righteously. That's what God called us to do. So this morning, 
I want to open up the opportunity for all of us to look on the inside and ask ourselves this question because most of us know the answer. We've just not asked the right question. What's driving my life? And God, what do you want me to do? Here I am, Lord. Send me. Let's stand together. Father, today, I'm moved by your presence in this place. I'm moved by the sense of awe that your love has provided us.